So we're going to be in Romans um, this semester. We're starting our study. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles over here. Or you can have like a phone, whatever, to pull it out and then see it. Um, so go ahead and turn there. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And after Acts as well, you're in Romans. If you hit Corinthians, you've gone too far. Um, so we were not going to finish Romans this semester. I don't know if you've read Romans before, but it is hefty. Um, we'll go about halfway through the book this semester. We'll finish it next semester. So this means that we'll be going at a pretty fast pace, averaging about half a chapter a week. Um, today we're only going through about seven verses, though. How about the introduction? Hey, Bellamy. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, people always like cluster right here when they get here, and it's like there's so much more like room over here. Um, yeah, so we are in Romans. Um, Romans written by the Apostle Paul to the church in. Rome. Rome. Good job. Um, yeah, it's called Romans. It's called that. Corinthians written to a church in Corinth. Corinth, right? Ephesians to a church in Ephesus, right? Galatians and Galatia, so on. That's why it's called these things. Um, so I'm going to read the first um, seven verses that we're going to be in, and then we'll pray, go to the background on the book, and get started. So look at Romans chapter 1. As Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called his apostles, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together to study your word with other believers and to talk about it and to have good fellowship. I pray this morning that as I'm teaching, it would be your words, not mine, coming through God, and that every one of us can be encouraged or convicted as needed, Lord, so we can better glorify you. pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Okay. Anyone here liking any law enforcement TV shows? Yeah. 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 Psych, right? More more lighthearted. Psych, Chuck, maybe white collar, anyone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe some more dramatic, like like CIS or NCIS or NCIS, or like Miami or Miami NCS, or I don't even know where they are, right? Um, all those other TV shows. Um, anyways, right, we see a police officer, FBI agent, whoever it is, come into a room and someone says, hey, who are you? You can't be here. What do they do? The badge, right? Yeah, they aren't just like, right? It's guns. Um, they're like, hey, no, I have a badge. I have the right to be here kind of thing. Um, and so that's what they do. They pull out the flash, their official badge. And, you know, of course, if you're in a comedic TV show, they pull out, like, their driver's license, like, police. And then they put it back and no one ever notices, right? Um, but then it's like, whoa, okay, all right, I'll answer your questions. Uh, that's okay. Um, whenever that badge is um, present. So what does the badge represent? Authority, right? Person walked in, no one knew who they were until they flashed the badge and they have authority and they show they've been given authority by the government to be there and investigate. So there's a Greek word that means sent with authority. And it's the word apostolos. Right? What's that sound like? Apostle. apostle, right? To be an apostle means you're sent with authority. Right? Um, and so it's translated to apostle in our Bible. We're going to see that this letter is written by the apostle Paul and he's sent with authority from Christ. 
So Paul was actually known by a different name before his conversion to Christianity. He was known by Saul. Um, Saul is just the Hebrew version of it, and Paul is just the, like the, more the Greek version of the same name, basically. Um, but he was something called a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a strict follower of Old Testament law. They were seen actually as the holiest of holy. They kept all of the laws to a T. In fact, they even had laws to keep them from breaking the law. Right? It's like saying, I don't want to speed, so I'm going to always go 10 under the speed limit. Right? And then everyone just hates you. So, so. Um, no, but they had laws of that they would put them under themselves so that they would not break the law that was the Old Testament law. Um, one of the, some of the examples they had, if it was the Sabbath or day of rest, right, they cannot work, they're allowed to work. And so if they're walking along, um, they're not allowed to spit in the dirt because you might be mixing the spit with the dirt to make mud to make a brick. Can't do that, right? Don't want to be seen as working. That's, that's, they wouldn't do that, right? And if they're going, um, walking by on the Sabbath and um, some cart comes by or whatever and then um, splashes mud on their tunic or whatever, their robe or whatever, um, they would have to wait until it dried and they'd get three hits to get the mud off. They did four, well, that's considered work, and so they wouldn't do four, right? Those are things that aren't in the Bible, but they would put extra laws on themselves to make sure they didn't even get close to breaking the biblical law. And so they were very much um, seen as the holiest of the holy, right? And kind of almost like more righteous than thou, right? Kind of um, way that they present themselves. They believed the path to eternal life was that you had to do good things to get there, right? You had to follow it to a T to get eternal life and to be saved. But... There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. Um, that's a lot. I don't know if we could even name that many laws in our government, right? There probably are that many. I don't even know. I don't keep track. Um, but, I mean, one of the first ten is that you cannot covet someone else's stuff, right? How many of you have ever wanted what someone else had? Yeah, right? Like, that's it's impossible not to break that one. You cannot act on it. That's fine, right? That's good. But you're, gonna, you're probably going to want it at some point. You're going to want what someone else has. And so they would think that, okay, but I've followed all the laws, and so I'm good, right? But actually, they, they coveted at some point, so they've already broken it. Normally, Pharisees were self-righteous. They believed this is better than others. But Psalms and Romans 3 says there is no one righteous, not even one. Right? Everyone has turned their own way in sins. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's a wage? A salary. A salary, right? And so the wages of sin is death. So you sin, and it's like, here's your paycheck, death. That's what it's saying, is that you sin and what you get, what you earn is death, which is separation from God. So it's a free gift to get eternal life. So how do we get that gift, right? Here's where the theme verses in Romans come into play. Romans 1, 16, 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, that the righteous man shall live by faith. So it says the gospel is the power for salvation. The gospel that Jesus Christ came, he lived a perfect life, died to pay for sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave, showing that he has power over death. Right? He conquered death. Now he offers eternal life, and who believes in him has eternal life. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is three things. There's a message, the offer, and the response. The message is Christ died and rose again, paying for sin, conquering death. The offer is eternal life. That's what he's offering. Right? And the response is for us to believe in him for that. Right? To believe in him to give us that eternal life. 
In verse 17, it says, righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. That's kind of the outline of Romans, actually. The first um, chunk of Romans, um, that's the first uh, chunk, I'll just do Romans right here. First, like, chunk is a lot about just salvation. And then kind of towards the end, especially when you get to uh, 12 to 16, is going to be, especially that section, is going to be a lot of, like, application. Sorry, can't read my handwriting. <clears throat> application, right? Um, now, more than this, the application, obviously, we're going to pull from everywhere, right? Every part of Scripture is inspired by God and proper for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Um, but we're going to see that this especially is heavy on application. It's going to start a lot more with the salvation kind of side of it. Um, uh, start out with the need for the gospel, explaining how to receive eternal life, and goes into how to practically live out your faith. So Paul was on his way to persecute Christianity, right? There was those who he thought were polluting in his mind the Jewish faith. He's like, I am trying my best to be a Jew. And these people are saying, you have to do these things to be saved. And he's like, well, that's terrible, right? I can't let that happen. I'm going to go persecute these Christians. On his way to Damascus to do that, he just appeared to him and asked, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And so Paul realized Christ was a savior, placed his faith in him, and started serving Christ. As much as he was against Christ to begin with, He's now for Christ, the same amount, right? He is all out for Christ. That's why in verse 1, Romans 1, 1, right? Look, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, is just called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So what's a bondservant? Uh, slave, kind of like a slave, right? Um, so Paul kind of like a, he's saying he's a slave of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle. What's an apostle mean? Sent with authority, right? Bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle, right? Called to be set apart or to, uh, that's, that's the next verse, but called with authority from Christ. We know that he's set apart for the gospel of God. He's set apart specifically to preach to the Gentiles, actually. Those who are not Jewish, right? If you're either Jew or you're Gentile, those are kind of, that's, that's the two things that they have. Um, we see in this letter that Paul writes to the Galatian church. It says, Paul's writing says, but on the contrary, seeing that I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, right? That's how they would view like a Jewish tradition of circumcision. So they would have that as the, the, the term for the Jews, basically, and uncircumcised would be those who weren't Jewish or Gentile. So he said, seeing that I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just Peter had been trusted or to the circumcised. He who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, right? He's saying, hey, I've been called and set apart for the gospel to go to the Gentiles, right? Um, was Rome primarily a Jewish or Gentile city and nation? Very Gentile, right? Um, and so Romans is one of the most famous books in the Bible because it's so long. Um, but also, um, it has so much great stuff in it for the Christian life. There's so much theology and so much application one of the reasons actually that it's filled with so much like good, solid, just theology and stuff is that Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. He was writing as a kind of a precursor to, hey, I'm going to be there. I plan on being there at least. So here's kind of a letter to kind of lay down the foundation of theology and works before I get there. Corinthians, another example, is like, guys, you messed up, right? Here are some corrections that you need to have, have to happen in your church, right? In Corinthians, they were like, there is someone in your church who is sleeping with his mother-in-law. That needs to stop, 
right? And that's what we see in Corinthians. And Romans, he's like, hey, haven't met you all yet, but here's some cool things, right? Here's the theology, here's the Bible. Here's things I want to get, um, let you know about. And so the church in Rome, um, probably some of them were at Pentecost, right? Whenever the Holy Spirit came, um, was sent down and Peter was preaching. Some of them were there, heard about Christ, believed in Christ, and went back to Rome and then started churches there, right? House churches there. Um, so yeah, it's not a letter of correction. Instead, he's paving the way for his visit. He's laying down solid teaching before he gets there. There's some interesting background, though, with the people in the Church of Rome. There's lots of different, well, there's like two ideas about who actually is in the church at Rome. And for what we can tell, like I said, day of Pentecost, Peter preached a lot of people. There were some Roman Jews there. They believed in Christ. They brought that back to their home synagogues. What are the synagogues? basically Jewish churches, right? Like that's where they had their teaching and that kind of stuff that they'd go on um, and learn about, about the Old Testament stuff. And so um, they brought that back to their home synagogue saying, hey, this is the Messiah, right? So why do they believe in Jesus? They realized that Christ was the Messiah they were looking for. They knew from the Old Testament that God was going to send a Messiah that would take care of sin, right? Someone to save them. Look in Romans 1 verse 2, he says, Jesus Christ, right, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born a son of David according to the flesh. So through the Old Testament, right, the prophets and the Scriptures, right, for them at this point was just the Old Testament, he had promised this Messiah, promised Jesus Christ to come. Then it says the Messiah must be a descendant of King David, who, and Jesus was a direct descendant of King David. You see that in Matthew in the genealogy, right? Um, this is something interesting. Um, the Gospels uh, have different ways of showing Christ, right? Showing Jesus. Um, first of all, what we see is the Old Testament points forward to the Messiah, Jesus. New Testament is pointing back, looking at Jesus, right? Now, we have prophecies about other things going on then, but ultimately the Old Testament is saying, hey, there's going to be someone who comes, seed of woman, a seed of Abraham, a seed of David, right? And he's going to come, he's going to save the world, right? And then we have the New Testament looking back saying, hey, that was the dude, right? That's him, Jesus, right? And here's what he's done. Here's what he's going to do. Um, the reason why Matthew, this is just kind of a tangent. The reason why Matthew um, has a genealogy for uh, King David is because Matthew shows Jesus as the king, the king of the Jews, right? Or the king. Um, Mark, if you notice in Mark, shows Jesus as servant. Right? One of the, the key phrases that said the most in Mark is immediately, right? Christ did this, immediately he did this, immediately he did this, right? It's just he's serving the entire time. Um, Luke shows him as man, right? That's where we get the majority of like his birth and that story, a little bit of him growing up is from Luke to show that, look, he is a man, right? He's fully man. And then John shows him as God. Yes, and so we see that um, that's the purpose that John was written, and at the end of John says that, so that you would know that he is God and believe in him to have eternal life, right? So those kind of the four different ways that, that the four Gospels present Christ. That's why there's four of them. It's not just like, so it was really important, so they repeated it four times. No, well, it is very important, but this is kind of the reasons why. And there's the things that we see in the Old Testament that are prophesied about, that the Messiah would be king, that he would come to serve, that he would be um, fully man, we actually see in there. And they also be God, right? So that's just a freebie stuff in there. But um, 
So these Jewish believers, right, they hear Peter preaching and they realize Christ or Jesus is the promised Messiah. So they go back to their synagogues, that teaching place for the Jews, tell others that, hey, the Messiah we're looking for is Jesus. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And so um, some believed, some didn't, obviously, in the synagogues. But in Rome, there weren't just Jews at the synagogues, right? There were Gentiles who were like, I kind of like this whole Jewish thing, right? Like, I'm going to go, and they're actually like, they call Jewish sympathizers, right? They actually go, and they'd be in the synagogues, and he learned from the teaching, um, and actually, basically for all intents and purposes, were Jewish, but they were fully Gentiles, right? They were fully just like Roman citizens. Um, so therefore, some of the Gentiles attending synagogues also believed in Christ for eternal life. They're a much smaller portion than the Jews, right? Because uh, there weren't as many Gentiles at the synagogues as there were Jews. So at this point, most believers are Jews, and they probably have scattered house churches throughout Rome. Rome was massive, like the biggest city of like the time period of likely at that point. Um, and here's what happened. Do you think the um, Jews and the Christians were like chums, like on good terms with each other? No. Right, Saul was not too happy with the Christians until he became a Christian, and then he's like happy, right? Um, but here's what happened. In Emperor Claudius, in AD 49, he saw there are some issues with the Christians and the Jews, which he saw with the Jews and a new sect of Judaism, right, is all that he saw. He's like, okay, Jews, get out of Rome, right? Everyone leave. Jews are not allowed in Rome. So we ordered them all to leave. So they had to leave in AD 49. And then AD 54, oh, that's annoying. Wow. Okay. In AD 54, um, Claudius uh, died. And so that was over. And so all the Jews came back. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the Jews came back then to Rome, right? So what happens to the house churches during this time? Who's left? The Gentile believers, right? So for five years, it's just the Gentile believers. Are, the hands of the churches are in the Gentile believers. So they grow more Gentile during that time, right? Gentile believers. And then the Jews come back. Right, and they're like, "Hey, I'm back at church," and like, "Ooh, things have changed." Right, it's like you go back to your home church, and then like they painted the walls, and you're like, "I didn't agree to this." Right, um, things are different. Right, things are done differently because they don't have all the Jewish things they know about that the Gentiles don't and stuff. And so um, they come back, and so it's mainly Gentiles, but then there are Jews that have returned that are um, there. And so at this point. Um, Romans is probably written about 58 A.D., roughly. There's a couple of years here, back and forth, people um, agree. But um, 58, so about four years after this, is whenever he's writing Romans to the Roman church. So it seems like the church isn't quite unified through all of Rome. There's lots of small house churches. Those house churches, best we can tell, are in the compromise of Gentile believers with a smaller portion of Jewish believers. that make sense? Okay, cool. A lot of background. I know it's a ton of background going through here. But this will make a the book of Romans come alive a lot later um, if you keep all of this in mind. Right? So if you're the Jewish person who had to leave five years and come back to your to your home church, um, and you see all these things are changing, there'd be a little bit of tension there, right? Like things are done differently. It's just how we did them. This is different. Like I'm used to this. Now it's all mainly Gentile. We used to be mainly Jewish. Like different things are going on. There's a little bit of stuff. you have a question? Yes, uh, so 
your background for the Jews leaving Rome, is that in the Bible or is that an outside source? So it's both. Um, when you see Priscilla and Aquila are first met in Acts, um, they actually were met in Jerusalem because they had been exiled from Rome. Um, then they went back to Rome afterwards. And so, yeah, that's actually something we see in the Bible as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you're the Jew, right, who's left and then come back, and then you see that, oh, things have changed. There's going to be some tension there, right? And we actually see as we go through Romans later on, we're going to see that he's kind of addressing some of those tension issues, right? He's like, hey, is it better to be a Jew? Is it better to be a Gentile, right? And kind of bringing up those questions, and that's kind of the, the base reasons why those things are being brought up. Um, okay, so now let's get a little further into Romans. Um, but before we get like really far into this, anybody have any other questions at this point? <laughs> no, okay. Um, you'd be surprised. I'll have like a certain number I count to in my head, and normally it's like that last number is whenever someone asks a question. So I was away. Um, so a little farther into Romans. Normally we'll have, like I said, half a chapter a week, but we're starting with a lot of background these first few weeks, so we're just going to go just a few verses. So look at Romans 1, I'll just read the first four verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called in as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his holy or through his prophets and his holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was born descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul the Apostle is writing this. He set apart for the gospel, talked about in the Old Testament, which is concerning Christ. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So if there was any question that anyone had about Christ's power over death, when he rose from the dead, that was kind of answered, right? Now we know he has the power to give us eternal life because death has no power over him, right? Like he rose from the dead, so he has the power to actually offer us eternal life. Uh, Jesus is God, right? God is something we do not and cannot understand fully, right? He's eternal, he's infinite, all these things. Um, he's one God in three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All are unique, yet all are fully God. The only one who became flesh is God the Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is declared the Son of God in power because nothing has a hold on him, right? He has victory over death. He has authority over death. The one thing no one can escape Right? From the criminal in prison to the President of the United States to Elon Musk, right? Death is coming. Right? It's marching forward. Um, that's not a threat to anyone. I'm just saying that is something you cannot escape, right? Um, and so all people will die one day, right? So only through trusting Jesus can we have victory over death, right? Only through trusting Christ can we have victory because he's the only one who has full authority over death. In verse 5, he says, Through whom, right, through Christ, whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So through Christ, Paul says he has received grace and apostleship for a purpose. He's received grace, right? He's received apostleship, sounds authority, um, from Christ. Do we have apostles now? No, right? People are sent directly from God to with authority to do things, right? Like, he wrote the Bible, right, in that sense, right? He was sent with authority, um, like Paul, Peter, Luke, Matthew, was sent with authority from Christ, wrote the Bible, things that they said went, right? Um, no one has that kind of authority from Christ now. Right? Now, we now have people who are we're representations of Christ on earth. So we're supposed to be representing him to other people, showing his love to others. 
and sharing the gospel to others. But his purpose, right, was being an apostle, sent with authority. And he, the purpose for receiving that grace and apostleship was to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for Christ's name's sake. Remember, earlier we said Paul was to preach to the Gentiles. That was kind of his calling that he was called towards, right? Okay, so look at verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, right? So look, even those in Rome he's writing to are called of Jesus Christ. The Roman church is mainly Gentiles, so he's referring to those people as the ones he's called to. Paul has already done his missionary journeys to the east, and now his eyes are fixed on the west, right? He's done it to the east, eyes are fixed to the west, right? Um, and Rome is a big city in the West. Yeah, definitely. That's fine. Sorry. The old people are coming in, stealing chairs. Yeah. That hurt more than you. Ooh. I feel like I feel the AC coming from the auditorium. It was so good. Um, okay. Rome was big, basically, is where I was at. Um, so I just fixed on Rome as a place to kind of do more ministry and to promote the gospel more. So it's all of you who are called to Jesus Christ, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. So he finally gets who he's writing to. He's like, hey, Paul here, I'm to y'all in Rome, right? Um, that's basically what happens in these first seven verses. So he writes to those who were beloved in Rome, called as saints, right? What do we think of when we think of the word saint? What? Goody two shoes. Goody two shoes, like, oh, they're just a saint, right? Like St. Peter, St. John, maybe, like the... Yeah, Saint. Well, uh, yes, Saint Bernard. Um, those are the ones that like are in the mountains and have like the the barrel of. I assume it's a root beer. I don't know what else would be in a barrel, um, right? Is that is that those right dogs? Yeah, they're the big dogs, right? That have the. It's medical supplies, I think, not. Um, so Saint Nick, hey, um, yeah. So we think of like Saint, a nice person. Oh, they're just a saint, right? Um, or St. Peter, another maybe another Catholic tradition of a saint kind of thing. Um, but this says that those in Rome are called as saints. So what does the word saint mean then? It actually means holy ones or set apart ones. Right? Hagias uh, is holy, right? Set apart ones. And so um, to those who are called to be holy, those who are called as saints, called to be holy. So believers, we weren't created to just be born place our faith in Christ, and to sit and wait until Christ's return to retire. Right? That was not what we were created for. We were actually created, called to be set apart in this world. It's to be set apart for Christ. So you and I were created for a purpose. Everyone who's believed are saints by calling. We see that in Romans, we see that in like uh, the Corinthians, the other books of the Bible. The believers are called saints. That purpose is to glorify God. The purpose we're set apart for. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this. It says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So it says, these people, right, God gave, that capital A, right? God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These people were given these gifts and these abilities, whatever, so that the saints could be equipped. Who are the saints? Believers, believers right? So the believers could be equipped for the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ. 
um, the work of service, which is the building of the body of Christ. You can build up the church in two different ways, numerically and spiritually. Right? If more people get saved, the body's bigger, right? Like the body of Christ is bigger. But then if you strengthen the members of the body, it's stronger, right? It's building up the body of Christ. And so training spiritually, building people spiritually, and then also sharing the gospel builds it numerically. Does that make sense? See that? Okay. So you and I have been offered eternal life. I pray each and every one of you have placed your faith in Christ for eternal life. You don't have to do anything to get there. You just place your faith in Christ. And once you have it, you have it eternally. Then my prayer is that each one of us would do God's will for us, which is to build up the body of Christ, to share the gospel with unbelievers, and to encourage believers, and to serve believers. Right? You can use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given you to serve other people. A really easy way to remember, what can I use to serve other people? Gifts, talents, abilities. Grand Theft Auto. Right? <laughs> um, you can use your gifts, use your talents, use your abilities to serve others. The church, right? That's why we were given these things. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10 says this. For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then it goes on and says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we're saved by God's grace. It's only through our faith, right? By his grace he made it, so it's only through faith that we're saved. It's not of works that no one may boast. Anybody known a Christian who's boasted? A lot in their family. Yeah. You can't boast, right? There's no way to boast. Because it's not us doing anything. It's placing our faith in Christ. And so we have that, right? Um, and then someone may boast. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This word, um, workmanship, is the word poema. Sounds like? Poem, right? So we are his like work of art, his workmanship. That's where we get the word poem from. Uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for for good works, right? That's the purpose we were, we were saved by grace through faith, was to do good works. She prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. It's laid out before you, right? Hey, here's things I want you to do. That's what he wants us to do, right? Um, his will is that you'd walk in the ways that, or the works that he's laid before you. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from God, right? Salvation is a, is by faith is a gift, right? So do anything, right, to get that. Um, we don't have to serve or do good works to have eternal life. But we have to serve if we want to be rewarded and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, if we just were lazy our entire lives and didn't serve at all. right? And so um, when we see him face to face, I want to hear him say, well done, faithful servant, not just, glad you're here, come on in. Or even like, wow, they'll let anyone in here nowadays. <laughs> come on in. No, I'm, I don't think God would say that. Right? Um, but we want to hear that, right? We want to hear what a good, faithful servant. And so we want to serve well, right? We'll, we'll be in there no matter what, right? We place our faith in him. We have eternal life no matter what. That can't happen. We aren't snatched out of God's hand. But we have to serve to make sure that we have those rewards. So Paul ends with a greeting of grace and peace to believers in Rome. So we've seen that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. Paul was sent with authority from Christ as an apostolos or as an apostle. The church in Rome is mainly Gentiles at this point, but it was probably started by Jews. There's some tension that we see there. The theme of Romans is God's righteousness. We become righteous before God when we believe in Christ, and we live out that righteousness when we walk in faith. That's Romans 1, 16 and 17. kind of outlines that. Let us shame of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it goes on and says, it's revealed from faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. 
So we're saved by faith, and then we live out the righteousness through faith. So some applications. One, pursue God's righteousness. Right? Not what the world says is righteous or anything. Um, the first way we do that is place your faith in Him for eternal life salvation. Right? Place your faith in Him for eternal life salvation. And then walk in faith for temporal salvation and rewards. Right? Um, anybody ever have the consequences of their actions face them if they've done something wrong? Yeah, most of us probably have, right? Um, because God is a just God, right? Here on this earth, even as believers, we can face temporal consequences to actions that are that are sinful actions, right? Um, and then if we want to walk in faith, we'll also get rewards whenever we see him face to face. And so place faith in eternal life salvation and then walk with in faith for temporal um, salvation and rewards. And then secondly, let's live set apart lives for Christ. So use the gifts, talents, and abilities um, to love God and love others. The two greatest commandments that we see in the Bible. Love God and love others. Okay. Any questions at this point about Romans or, or anything? Okay, so we're going to have some discussion time. And so we'll split up. Um, uh, but first, how does focusing on Christ's resurrection help you feel secure in your salvation? How does knowing that he rose from the dead, there's no power over him, help you know, so you're secure in your salvation. And then how do you want to walk in God's righteousness this semester? Think about the gifts, talents, abilities you have, opportunities, time that you have, etc. those sorts of things. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for Romans and just the um, great uh, truths that we see in it. Even the-